This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Shay Robbins. Good morning, Woodland Hills Family Church. I am very proud of you guys. It is both spring break and daylight savings, and here you are. Well done. It was a miracle we had people at the 815, but we did. pretty, Pretty good crew. Pretty good crew. Hey, my name is Shay Robbins. I'm a part of the teaching team here at Woodland Hills Family Church. We welcome everyone here in the castle. If you're watching online, our friends that are over in the chapel. And then I imagine we have some visitors and we're glad to have you guys too. I'm glad to worship with you today. As a part of our worship service, we take an offering. Um, Today's kind of a fun day. We're really going to celebrate what God is doing through our collective efforts together and and giving and ministry. And so uh, a lot of great stories coming our way. As you guys know, there's offering boxes located out in the foyer, the Church Center app. You can give online at woodhills.org or you can text 84321. For all the Gen Zers out there, if you want to tithe your Bitcoin, you can send it there, I bet. Um, So we continue with part two of the Kingdom of Heaven series. Adam Donier did a great job kicking things off last week. And... uh, Ashley and I were um, getting ready for bed and we were sitting next to each other. She was reading a book and I was watching The Mandalorian, which actually tells you a lot about our relationship. Um, But out of the corner of my eye, I see her take off her readers and she looks at them and she says, 1.5 is not strong enough anymore. Uh, Many of you guys can relate. When, When you have the wrong prescription, things can get a little bit blurry. And I really think that as we sit under the teaching of Jesus and we look at the kingdom of heaven is like, that uh, he's going to give us a proper perspective and allow us to see clearly. And last week, you know, Adam mentioned that, that a lot of the Jewish people of the day, they, they did not see Jesus as the Messiah um, they, had, they were at the time in a context that had them looking for something else. Specifically, they were living in a situation where Rome had overtaken their country and they were being oppressed and controlled and ruled over unjustly. And so as they read through the Old Testament scriptures where there are hundreds of prophecies that describe what the coming Messiah would look like, where he would be born, how he would carry himself, what he would look like, how he would rule. They looked through those hundreds of texts and in their current setting, some of them they, they focused on more than others. See, many of the Jews at the time, they were looking for a political savior to uh, save them from Rome. And, and Jesus was sitting down with his disciples and he was explaining through parables, hey, here's what the, the uh, kingdom of heaven is like. He was helping to give them a a clearer view of what was actually happening right before their eyes. Now, here we sit 2,000 years later and the power of the scriptures, it remains the same. In fact, interestingly enough, I think a couple of the character qualities of God that the Jews were getting tripped up on happened to be things that, that we still get tripped up on today. With that, I want to show you two Old Testament scriptures and I think it will help us as we head into the text. So the first one it is Isaiah 53. 
This is an interesting passage in the course of history because uh, during Jesus' day, they commonly read this chapter in synagogue. Well, some point after Jesus' death, the Jewish people stopped reading uh, the last part of Isaiah 52 and all of Isaiah 53 in the synagogues. We know this because uh, a notable rabbi in the 17th century admitted that they stopped reading those texts in public because it was confusing people. They were getting in arguments of what these texts meant, and so they removed it. And uh, you'll see here that it describes somebody different than what the Jews were looking for. The text starts like this. It says, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is God rolling up his, his sleeve to show you his strength. He says, for he, the Messiah, grew up before him like a tender shoot. Like a root out of dry ground, he has no stately form or majesty. This, is a, this would have been a major tripping point. How does this fit in the paradigm of a political savior? That we would look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men. A man of great pain and familiar with sickness and like the one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we had no regard for him. That did not fit the paradigm of what the Jews wanted to find in their Messiah. But the reality is, is that Jesus demonstrated one of the character qualities of God that was humility. He was coming in a different way. And for that reason, many of them, and they missed him. Another passage from Psalm 94 displays another one of his characteristics. The psalmist writes, he says, how long, Lord, shall the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? The, the psalmist is saying, like, this is a mess, Lord. Like, where are you? Why aren't you coming? And we know that another one of the character qualities of God is that he is a God of patience. Peter writes that, that God is not slow as some count slowness. He's not slow about his promises, but he is patient wishing that none would perish and that all would come to repentance to find relationship with him. And so his humility and his patience was a struggle for the Jews of the day. And so it is with us as we look around at this broken mess of a world we live in and we say, God, what are you waiting for? We feel like sometimes like we're actually losing ground. But today I've got good news for you. You see, God's ways, they're higher than our ways. And, and, and oftentimes we can mistake those for weakness, a disconnectedness from our current situation, slowness, a lack of control, etc. And so today as we look at the text, I think what you're going to find is that, that God's humility and his patience, they, are, they have great purpose and there is a lot to be excited about as the kingdom of heaven grows and perpetuates itself. You see, parables help us to refocus on God's narrative rather than man's. And it ensures that God's narrative is informing our thoughts, decisions, emotions, and actions. So as an example, one of one of uh, Jesus' disciples that was, we really don't know much about him, was Simon the Zealot. There's two Simons and the 12 disciples. 
Simon Peter, which we know much more about. And then there's Simon the Zealot. And all we really know about him was his nickname, the Zealot. Interestingly, the Zealots were a group of uh, zealous political activists and their heartbeat was that they were going to overthrow Rome with force. And so we, we can make some assumptions. It seems that, that, uh, that Simon came from this sect. And you can imagine him and his zealous passion that uh, Israel would reclaim its old glory to be sitting before Jesus, the man that he's placing faith in as the Messiah. And yet the way that he's carrying himself is puzzling to him. Like, how, how does this work? And so Jesus would sit down with him and others. And as he explained the parables and the kingdom of heaven, they would bring a clearer perspective for Simon and others. Interestingly, I think it's very similar to our situation. Uh, Simon and the zealots had a certain narrative that they were viewing the world through and, and we can fall into narratives of, as well. If we watch one network of news, we'll see things through that lens. All of the, the political uh, hot takes, the situation of just how things are going out in the world, the economy, etc., and if we're not careful, what can happen is we'll begin to see the world through man's narrative rather than God's narrative. And so we go to the scriptures, we sit under the teaching of Jesus, and he helps adjust our perspective. That's what the parables are for today. And so uh, we're going to look at two of these parables, the mustard seed and the leaven together today as a church. So uh, the first one, if you guys have your Bibles or you want to follow along on your phone, we've, we'll have it up on the screen. You can turn to Matthew chapter 13 and we'll find the parable of the mustard seed in verses 31 and 32. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> he presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, uh, which a person took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than the other seeds, but when it is fully grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky can come and nest in its branches. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that I have a degree in horticulture. The only problem is I didn't pay attention for four and a half years. <laughs> it's just kind of funny how all of these, uh, these uh, horticultural analogies fall to me. Um, but, but from the little that I do know, the, the mustard seed, actually I have one in my pocket. Um, can you guys, can you zoom in on that? You might need to lean forward to see it. I'm just kidding, I don't have one. There, it's literally that small. So the, a mustard seed is one to two millimeters. So it's a very small seed, one of the smallest seeds in all of the garden plants. And, and when it's planted in kind of like where, where we're at, we're used to the herb version of mustard. It's just a simple, small, small plant. But over in the Middle East, it's a completely different genus. It's a plant that's a perennial and it grows into trees that can get as, as big as 30 feet tall. And uh, we've got a picture that I pulled from the internet that is apparently very fuzzy. Um, but in the text, it's just, it's, I think it's really important that Jesus points out, he says, it's smaller than the other seeds, but when it's full grown, it's larger than the garden plants and it becomes a tree. See, most plants in a garden are annuals. 
You plant them in the spring, they grow up, they produce fruit. Then in the fall, they begin to weather out. And in the winter, they die off entirely. Well, a perennial grows year round. And this perennial mustard seed grows into a tree that becomes larger and it becomes the dominant force in the garden itself. And, and Jesus goes on and he explains that it becomes a home or a place of refuge for the birds of the sky. They sit in that tree. Well, a tree, it provides refuge, safety, belonging, and peace. It's a home. And so it is for followers of Jesus. As we find our refuge in the kingdom of heaven, we get to cash in on all these beautiful qualities of a tree. We find our refuge, safety, belonging, and peace in the kingdom of heaven. One of the most important points that I want to make this morning is this, is that the kingdom of heaven, it starts with Jesus. You know from Isaiah 53 and from the stories from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus' beginning, it came in a great deal of humility. And yet, from a small seed has grown a large tree. A mustard seed is a reminder that the kingdom of heaven is a home and it's set apart from all others, from humble beginnings to indescribable glory. We know that this is true on a large scale, but it's also true on a personal level. The kingdom of heaven in your life, it started with an interaction. A gospel seed was planted in your heart. The seed that Jesus loves you and that he died for your sins and that through him you can be forgiven and have a relationship with God for eternity. That, that seed, when it's planted in, it, in your heart, that it takes root and then it begins to grow up and produce fruit throughout your life. The kingdom of heaven, it starts with Jesus. And so it perpetuates through the fruit of the believers that have chosen to follow him. The next passage is uh, the leaven. Matthew 13, 33. It's just one verse. But it says this. It says, he spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three sata of flour until it was all leaven. In the NIV, you'll read this, and it says in, it was hidden in 60 pounds of flour. In other words, the leaven was seeded in it, and through the fermenting process, it spread throughout that 60-pound um, uh, set of flour. See, leaven is a substance, typically a yeast, that is used to make dough rise. My brother, Blake Robbins, he married an amazing woman named Catherine. And you guys have heard the phrase, you know, you outkicked your coverage. Well, when you meet Blake Robbins and then you meet Catherine, you're like, wow. In most introductions, you say, nice to meet you. With Blake, you're like, congratulations. Uh, amazing woman. So Catherine... In, in all of her awesomeness, she has started getting into baking and she's been baking sourdough. Sourdough is so hot right now. Uh, sourdough is popular because it's supposedly the most healthy bread to eat because it's much more digestible. 
Uh, and, and so sourdough, uh, the way that it works is you take a sourdough starter, and I've got a picture of it, but in Catherine's refrigerator, she's got a jar just like this with her starter dough. And what she does when she goes to make a batch is she'll reach in her jar and she'll pull out a chunk of the starter. She'll drop it down there and then she'll put flour and the other ingredients on it. She'll mix it up and then she'll let it set. And what will happen is that starter dough will ferment and it will permeate with those qualities. It will permeate the rest of the dough until it rises. Then the following day, she'll bake it and have fresh bread. Well, as she takes from her starter dough, the way that she replenishes her supply is she simply takes that jar and dumps flour in it, puts the lid on it, puts it back in the fridge. And, and that starter will then also ferment and, and, uh, and, and permeate the rest of that flour and increase that lump of starter dough. And uh, there's a secondary English translation um, definition rather of leaven and and this is it here's what it says a pervasive influence that modifies something or transforms it for the better isn't that a beautiful definition let me read it one more time a pervasive influence that modifies something or transforms it for the better I'm going to come back to that same point the kingdom of heaven it starts with Jesus I thought about making an additional point. Jesus is my starter dough. But I thought that was kind of corny. So I didn't, it's not going to be on the screen. We did print t-shirts and you can pick one up on your way out in the foyer. Gen Z, you guys can t text 84321 with your uh, Bitcoin and pick it up on the way out. Um, but the kingdom of heaven, it starts with Jesus. And the leaven for us, it is a call to activate personal ministry, to bring a dead lump to life, to immerse ourselves and influence a dead culture and bring it to life. So if it starts with Jesus, my role is this. I'm reminded of Galatians 2.20. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so from, from this point forward, the leaven has, it has touched me. It has touched us. It has had an influence where it's permeated our lives and changed us. And then guess what? Then the permeation, it continues to spread through you. So who's my responsibility? It's the man or woman who's next to you that you ought to affect. In the Lord's Prayer, one of his phrases is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And, and I want to share some stories with you that I think will be an encouragement uh, because I think a lot of times as you, you look at the context of the world that you live in and it feels like the gospel is actually losing ground. And, and I want to encourage you today. I talked to a friend of mine, Chris, uh, and his wife, Lauren. They are missionaries that our church has supported for a long time. They picked up and moved away from Branson, Missouri, and they live in Indonesia, and they have now for years and years. And they are reaching uh, through the locals into unreached people groups throughout the island network of Indonesia. And, and several years ago, they, they began to reach out to an unreached people group that has been untouched by the gospel called the Patanis. And the Patani people is about 14,000 people in this series of villages, and it's extremely remote. 
And uh, in fact, Chris described it. He said, from where he lives, it's a one hour flight to an island, then a one hour boat ride, then a four hour car ride, then a six hour boat ride, and then a one hour truck ride to get to the village of Patani. And several years ago, one of their first generation Indonesian, Indonesian Christians went to Patani and shared the gospel of Jesus with a family there and they came to faith. Now, several years later, there's, there are 16 believers that they know of that are walking with Jesus amongst the Patani. Now, 16 out of 14,000 doesn't seem like very much, seems like a drop in a bucket. But that's the way that the leaven works. It starts with one person and then it spreads to the next and then the next and then the next. Now, one of the amazing things that Chris shared with me is that they're working on a Bible translation. To their knowledge, there has never been any translation of the Bible into the Patani language, and they are working on it right now. And they translated the first story from Luke 17 into the Patani language. It's the story of uh, healing 10 lepers. And I actually want you to hear it today and listen to it. And we'll put it up on the screen and Katie will flip through it and you can read as you listen in Patani. Isan fa mufis mat yafo sotar tisipa doa. Non choa isan fa na kota Yerusalem ali. Indel na sipat bit bet Samaria fare Galilea. Be inchung nap nu isoa smat yafo sotar tisipa doa lo foser fadikrei. Tertebena lawom nyarei Bergit Isa guru Masiampa Benemsia Isa nusino Fanna imam imam sia Ficememi nimi diria nasili Berfan Berigona efen lolani Lip lunali Cilea Simo visitu Besmat isona antara silita isn't that cool? Again, to our knowledge, that is the first translation of the Holy Scriptures into the Patani language that you just listened to. Uh, the daughter of the original family that came to faith listened to that for the first time in Chris and Lauren's presence and she started weeping at the word of God in her native language. Now, interestingly, um, uh, throughout the Muslim world, we keep getting reports of Jesus appearing in people's dreams. And um, there is a man right now, his name is Johnson of the Patani people, he's a 60-year-old fisherman and the boy of that original family, he's a young, uh, young guy, I think he's 16 years old, overheard these fishermen telling a story um, that, that he was sharing. And he was sharing that the Christian Jesus has been appearing to him in his dreams. And the guys that were sitting around him said, how do you know that? You know, how do you know it was Jesus? And he said, I saw the wounds in his hands. And this little, this young man overhears this and the word gets back to Chris and our team. And, and actually this week, last week they sent him, they're sending one of the mature believers and they're looking uh, for Johnson, like right now to share 
who this Jesus is in his dreams and how, how Jesus feels about him. It's the leaven. You know, we mentioned the Jewish people. Um, I have some friends that just returned from a trip to Israel and they got back and he explained to me that in pre-World War II, there was about 250,000 Messianic Jews. So these are Jews that placed faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And in World War II, many of them were living in, in Europe and they were wiped out in the Holocaust. And so in 1950, post-World War II, there was next to no Messianic Jews in, uh, in the world. Well, Lifeway just finished a, 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 a new study recently and they have the Jewish population worldwide at over 1 million, the Jewish uh, Messianic Jews, over 1 million people. And that's amazing considering that the world population of Jewish people is somewhere between 15 and 18 million. That's a significant number. One million is the most Messianic Jews in all of human history today. The leaven is spreading. Even here in our backyard at Woodland Hills Family Church, in the last several years, we've seen hundreds of people baptized from kids in elementary, seven years old, all the way up to grandmas who, who have been baptized, stating publicly like, I am dead to this old way of life. And I'm embracing this new life of walking with Jesus. And in fact, Easter Sunday is on its way and we'll be hosting baptisms for folks that want to take that step of faith. But the leaven continues to grow and to permeate. Um, I want to share a passage with you that has really been super meaningful to me recently. John 5, 19, Jesus is giving explanation for why he's doing all of these miracles and the things he's doing. He says, uh, Jesus answered and he was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless, unless it is something that he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, these things the son also does in the same way. This is a tremendously significant passage for you and me. Here's why. Is that while Jesus was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He laid aside his divine power for a season and he took on human flesh and all of its limitations so that he could show us how we issue the kingdom of heaven on earth. And the same way that Jesus did it is the way, the, the path that you and I are to follow. For those of you who have placed faith in Jesus Christ as the savior of your life, you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, you have access to the throne room of God himself. And through prayer and communion with him, you ask God, God, what is it? that you want from me? What are you doing that I can come alongside of and be a part of? And through the power of the Holy Spirit, that power transfers from the throne room through this carcass of a body and, uh, and is unleashed on the earth. The kingdom of heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done through you and me. And, and sometimes you, you, you look at you know, you hear stories like I've shared and that Jared shared and you're like, well, you know, that's not me. I, I'm not, 
I'm not a professional minister. I'm not paid to do this. Like, how can I, how can I be a part of this? What can I do? And, and I want to share with you just 20 really simple ways that you can be the leaven, that you can impact the kingdom of heaven. And what you're going to find is as I read through there, you're going to say, wait a minute, I'm doing that. Or I, I can do that. I'm passionate about that. And uh, I think it'll, you'll find it to be encouraging. And the last thing I want to say before I read is, I want you to know, this is not a to-do list. This is something that you listen to. And I, I want you to think about how practical your ministry is today. Here's the list. Number one, start investing in kid and student ministry by, volu by volunteering. Lucy Watson, by example, started investing in my daughter Lulu's life when she was in kindergarten. Now, eight years later, Lucy's followed her through our program and their relationship is, is amazing. She has been leavened to my daughter. Mentor at the Boys and Girls Club. Use the same mechanic for a lifetime and build a friendship. Encourage servers regardless of their performance. Give to Kingdom of Heaven initiatives. One of our young adults is a C of O student. She shared a testimony with me. She was trying to raise money for a mission trip she felt called to go on and was uh, having a hard time making any headway financially. And while working at the Keter Center, she was serving and a couple asked how they could pray for her. And she shared her situation, just kind of the stress that she was experiencing related to that mission trip. And that couple left her a tip for a thousand bucks. Now, when I talked to her, she hadn't even been on the mission trip, but her faith was impacted so powerfully by their generosity. Pray for lost and unreached, unreached people groups. In the quiet of your home, you can pray for the Shuar and for the Patani people. Spiritually invest in your grandkids. Send kids to Christian summer camps. Find your sweet spot at church and give back. Start a Bible study with some friends. If you don't feel comfortable leading a Bible study, host a home group. Bring people into your home and allow ministry to perpetuate there. Be a servant leader in our community. Uh, last week I visited Rotary and Rotary Nationwide is a secular uh, businessman and woman's club where they're just, they influence their local community for good. And, and I was amazed at the dominance of Christian leaders in in our local Rotary, many of which are a part of Woodland Hills Family Church. And I was just so impressed. Commit to truth and love on social media. Take time for people. Build relationships with your neighbors. Invite people from church to lunch. Encourage teenagers. Put your hand on their shoulder, look them in the eyes and speak life into their hearts. Be loyal and gracious. Your relationships last longer that way. Discover, sharpen, and employ your spiritual gifts. And finally, be an instrument of reconciliation. And let me remind you again, the kingdom of heaven, it starts with Jesus. Any, any one of these things that we uh, practice in our daily lives, 
It ought not to be a to-do list, but rather to be a love list. I do these things because of the love that I've experienced from Jesus. And the forgiveness and grace that I've experienced in my life, it is so valuable to me that I cannot help but pass it on to others. Let me share this last quote. I found this from John MacArthur. He says, small things have very large effects. All music, symphonies, concertos, oratories, hymns, songs, all music basically comes from eight notes. All profound words that have ever been written or spoken in the English language came from 26 letters. Small beginnings, profound, extensive results. That said, let's, uh, let's stand to our feet as a body of Christ. And, and I'm going to ask that God would use us to expand the kingdom of heaven. And I also want to say, if there's folks out here that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that are searching and trying to understand, we want to engage with you. We want to process with you. Um, we've got a prayer team up here that would love to meet with you. If there's anybody who is sick and needs help from God, we want you to come up. We want to pray with you. And so I'd invite the body of Christ to, to bow your heads with me today. Father, um, we come to you with humble, thankful hearts. For those of us who know you as Lord and Savior, we say thank you. And I pray, God, that we would be leaven. And I pray, Jesus, for those that don't know you, that are searching, hurting, and feel broken, perhaps lost, that they would be found today in you. We know that you love them and you want a relationship with them, God. Jesus is King. And it's in his name we pray, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great week.